Luke chapter 10. Luke is, is telling this interesting conversation that Jesus has with a man who was, as the Bible describes, a religious expert of Old Testament law. He was a Jewish lawyer. This guy would have known all 613 laws like the back of his hand, and uh, he would have been counted on by the Jewish religious leaders to help enforce these laws. So in an effort to test and even trick Jesus, the man confronts Jesus and asks him a question, and here's the question he asks. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, knowing that this man's up to no good as Jesus would, Jesus throws a question right back at him, and he says, well, what does the law of Moses say? You know it. What does it say? And the man quickly and pridefully and very correctly quotes Deuteronomy 6.5, Leviticus 19.18, and he says, love the Lord God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, with all of your mind, and then he says this, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus replies to this man, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Now what the man should have said back to Jesus was, you know, how can I do this? I, I'm, I'm not able, I need your help. But instead, out of pride, Luke tells us in verse 29, he says, but he, the man, the, the lawyer here, desiring to justify himself, says to Jesus, and who's my neighbor? And Jesus responds to this man in typical Jesus fashion, he tells him a story. He, he tells him a parable about a good Samaritan. Jesus says, he says, okay, there's this Jewish guy. He's traveling uh, from Jerusalem and he's going down to Jericho. And while he's traveling, he gets mugged by some bandits. And um, they steal his clothes. They beat him until he's nearly dead. And they, they leave him lying there beside the road. And Jesus says, while he's down there, while he's, a priest comes by and, and he sees the guy lying in the street and, and, and he crosses over to the other side of the street to avoid the guy. And Jesus says, then a Levite, who was a, a Jewish religious leader, he, he comes along. He sees the man in front of him and, and, and he too crosses to the other side of the road to, inv- to avoid this guy. But a Samaritan, Samaritan sees the man and he has compassion on him. He actually treats his wounds and he bandages him up. And then in my little version of the story, he, he puts him in his car. He takes him to the Holiday Inn Express. He gives a manager at the hotel his MasterCard. And he says, here, take care of the guy and put any extra expenses on my tab. And then Jesus asks this expert of the law, he says, okay, which of the three men in the story was a neighbor to the man who got mugged and was left for dead? And the expert of the law in verse 37 says, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, okay, then you go and you do likewise. Now here's the interesting thing that you need to understand about this story that I believe makes it not only intriguing, but also very powerful, is that Jesus uses a Samaritan as the example of the guy who showed compassion. You say, well, what's, a big de- what's such, you know, such a big deal about that? Well, back in first century Jerusalem, the Jewish people despised the Samaritans. They were... To them, the spiritual half-breeds of society, they were the outcasts of society. The Jews would have never helped a Samaritan in this type of situation. So for a Samaritan to actually help a Jew, here's what he would have had to to have done. He would have had to had compassion on someone who hated him. He would have had to risk his life, spend his own money, and probably never be recognized or honored for even doing it. And this is important. Jesus uses the Samaritan in this story to to not only illustrate his own ministry, but to illustrate his life. 
Because Jesus was a man who showed compassion to people who rejected him and hated him. Romans chapter eight, uh, excuse me, chapter five, verse eight, the apostle Paul says, but God, and I like this version, put, put his love on the line for us by offering his son in sacrificial death while we were of no use whatever to him. He didn't give money for us. Instead, what he gave out of compassion, God sent his son Jesus to give his life for us. The the son of God sacrificed his life for a world of people that that he knew would not only reject and despise him then, but would be still doing it to this day. And so Jesus tells the story about the Samaritan to this Jewish expert of the law. And then he says, go do likewise, do the same thing. In other words, unleash this same kind of compassion on your neighbor. Now that's a tall order, isn't it? I actually think Jesus' words kind of raise two big questions. And the first one is, who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? Well, our neighbor is anyone that God brings across our path. That's our neighbor. That, that's who our neighbor is. If, if you look at the people that Jesus engaged along his path, he healed the leper who was, I mean, they, they were... You, you held them out here because they're very contagious. He, 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 fed, uh, he fed crowds of people. He raised a widow's son. He healed a demon-possessed man, cast a demon out of a little boy. He healed the paralyzed and the blind. He dealt very compassionately with a woman who had committed adultery. But at the same time, he said, go, don't sin anymore. Just, but here's compassion, here's grace. And then, and then he risked his reputation by engaging a Samaritan woman at a well. All of these people were... Jesus' neighbors. He didn't hide from any of these people. He didn't distance himself from them. He didn't cross the street to avoid them. Instead, he engaged anyone that his father brought across his path. So the second question then I think is, so what does it mean to love our neighbor? It means to treat them exactly as we want to be treated. it's, It's just simply the golden rule. Do unto others as you would want them to do to you. Now, in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is, it puts this great emphasis on the importance of having compassion for the hungry, for the thirsty, for the stranger, for those who are homeless, for those who are sick. And he actually says that one day, those who are followers of Jesus, Christians, those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus, one day we will stand before God for the compassion that we have had on what Jesus calls the least of these. And as Jesus describes this, he actually personally identifies himself with these. And here's what he says in verse five. He says, I tell you the truth, when you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were actually refusing to help me. That's the weight. That's, that, that's the importance that Jesus puts on, on compassion, especially in, in regards to what we would even call the least of these. Now, before we go any further, let's define the word compassion from scripture. What, what, what is Compassion. Well, the Greek word for compassion looks like that. And if you can, if you can pronounce that correctly, I'll give you a robotic, robotic vacuum cleaner, okay? Um, it is a feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another who is stricken by misfortune and co- accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate the suffering. L- let me put it this way, okay? Compassion is seeing something wrong and doing something about it. It's just seeing something wrong and going, I'm gonna, I don't care what it takes, we're going to do something about this. Now, as you know, over the years, we, we have made some very bold, compassionate moves as a church. The generosity of, of this church has allowed us to engage into areas where, where there, there's just a huge amount of need. We've been able to look and go, what, God, what's wrong in this world? And then 
because of your giving, we've allowed, we've been able to engage. I mean, over the years, the last 21 plus years, we've rebuilt several homes in our area, extreme makeover style. We've helped people uh, with, with all kinds of, on our serve Saturdays, our extreme makeover, uh, uh, you know, weeks that we do. In 2004, my mind goes back to this moment where we had a, a group here from World Help and they talked about how that women and children were, were literally being not only killed, but, 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 but just like sold into this army, this LRA army and their leader, Joseph Kony in Uganda. And God allowed us to build a safe house for these people. In 2008, we, we, we launched a nonprofit called Engage Burkina to tackle waterborne illnesses and AIDS in, in this little country that we love called Burkina Faso, Africa. And, and since then, Engage Burkina has now helped to provide over 700 new clean water wells and we've helped now to build over 75 new churches and we've seen now over 6,000 people from this tribe that we've adopted called the Puglit. We've seen them receive Jesus Christ to be their savior and they're now evangelizing the tribes around them. In 2009, as you know, we, we became ground zero for uh, flood victims here in Northwest Atlanta. And we worked primarily with Samaritan's Purse who set up shop right here in this back parking lot. And we, we ran point to help refurbish homes that had been damaged by floods. And as you know, every Christmas for the last 11, 12 years, we've, we've, we've done hope for Christmas to provide gifts and food and love to thousands and thousands of underprivileged children and families in our community. A few years back, we, we, we came alongside of this young couple who had gone through our church planning school, Terrence and Cecilia Lester, and, and we blessed and engaged and poured some resources into a new ministry that they started called Love Beyond Walls. And you, you got a chance to hear Terrence last week. I, he brought it, right? Um, but, but Terrence and Cecilia have this heart to tackle poverty and homelessness in College Park in downtown Atlanta, and we've been able to, to invest in that. We, 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 a few years ago, we helped a young couple in our church, uh, Jeff and Lori Davis, get a ministry off the ground called Truth in Nature that, that ministers to, to young men who either don't have a father in their life or are not an active father in their life. And, and now this ministry is literally taking off and spreading all over the country. A few years ago, we began to engage families in our community with, with children uh, and young adults with, with special needs. And these families, they, they deal with some very unique challenges that oftentimes, most of the time, for years and years, have been overlooked and actually forgotten by the church. And, and we just looked at these families and said, we're going to engage this. And so uh, years ago, we, we started a ministry called Breakaway. In the last few years, we did this, we've done this prom called, called Night to Shine. And I gotta tell you, it, it is one of my favorite nights of the year. But we just, you look and you say, compassion says, what is wrong? And we will fix this. What is wrong? And we will engage this with the, the love of Jesus. Last summer, uh, I was able to spend a few days with a group of young adults from our church. And we worked alongside two of our church planters, one in Windsor, Canada, and another one in Detroit, Michigan, which is my hometown, as you know. And uh, we, we worked alongside to show compassion and the love of Jesus to the Muslims that live in these cities. And last Saturday... I, had a, I was in Clarkston, Georgia with uh, my brother Kevin, who's our community outreach director, and, and two of our elders, and we were assessing how we can engage the community of Clarkston. Clarkston is called by many the Ellis Island of the South. It is a 1.4 square mile tract of land that is 30 miles from this building right here, but yet is home to anywhere from 15 to 18,000 
refugees representing 90 different unreached people groups. And we asked, the, we asked the same question there that we asked in Burkina Faso when we got on the ground. My, my, I, Paul, Paul and I sat in this little hut in 2010 and we said, tell us the need here. And I remember one of the mayors of this village says, our, 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 our people cannot hear the gospel without water. They can't hear the gospel when their babies are dying in their arms. And we asked that same question last Saturday and this is the response we got. What, what's the greatest felt need? Felt need. And they said, friendship with Americans. I think we can pull that off, don't you think so? I think we can not only do that, but we can do a whole lot more. So we're, we're gonna adopt an apartment complex in Clarkston and we're gonna bring friendship and love to our new neighbors in, in, in Clarkston, Georgia, just 30 miles. You don't even have to get on a plane. Just drive through there. And God will open up the door to you just, just pouring compassion. We're gonna bring compassion to them. Compassion is seeing something wrong and doing something about it. Now, I wanna just give you a little theology of compassion, about compassion, all right? And I wanna just kind of speak straight to you if I could. We cannot have impact without contact. Now, I grew up in a, in a, in a religious culture that for the most part, isolated themselves from non-Christians and anybody that was different and actually boycotted anything that was felt threatening to our way of life. And I saw a lot of gospel tracts passed out to lost people, but then we were taught to avoid, you know, having relationships then with, with all, with, at all cost. Listen to what Jesus says about how we're to engage people. In, Mar- in Matthew chapter five, he says, he says, you, you, me, Christians, you, you, are the, you are the salt of the earth. He says, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. And then he says, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. And he says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. Think about that for a moment. What, what does salt do? It adds flavor. It, 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 adds, it adds some zest, all right? But it also preserves things that could rot or spoil, all right? I know it causes some high blood pressure, but it makes food taste a lot better. My, but it's, it's, it's useless unless it comes out of the shaker, right? And then Jesus tells us that we're the light of the world. But he says a, light is a, a light's useless if, it, if it's hidden or, or, or cannot be seen. So, so what does he tell us to do? Jesus says, let your light shine so that people might see Jesus in you and be drawn to that light. He says, if, if we are the salt, if, if, we, if we're gonna be the salt of the earth and not only bring zest to things, but preserve things, he says, we've got to get out of the comfort of the shaker. We have to get out and we have to go out. We have to make contact. We can't, we can't isolate ourselves in a nice little Christian bubble. We got to get out of our comfort zone. We got to get amongst our neighbors and we got to, we got to, we got to rub shoulders with them. We got, we got to get our hands a little dirty. We got to overcome some of our, our cultural fears. We got to offer friendship. We got to offer compassion and we got to serve them. And then here's another thing. Justice without Jesus is just a band-aid. Now, listen, we, we do, people ask us to do a lot of things all the time, but, but you know, the, the church is, 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 is not the Red Cross. It's not, not the Peace Corps. We've actually been called to do more than that. We've been, we've been called to engage earthly problems with the ultimate goal of introducing people to faith in Jesus Christ, to, to bring the good news, to bring the, the message of Jesus, the gospel. 
Now, if you spend any kind of time on social media, especially Twitter, I mean, you, you know that on one side you've got the justice-only people and you've got the ju- no justice, just Jesus-only people, and it's like they just constantly conflict with each other. No, no, no. You've got to have justice, but you, you better have some Jesus. Not just some Jesus. You better have a, a lot of Jesus, okay? Because wouldn't it be a tragedy if we spent millions and millions of dollars over the years and countless, countless hours helping people's lives to be better while they're here on this earth, but we never offer them the answer to their internal problem and they end up in hell. That's a tragedy. Here's how Jesus put it. He said in Mark 8, he says, for, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet lose his soul, forfeit his soul? There's a lot of people in today's culture that, that struggle with the fact that we are engaging the world's problems with the ultimate goal of seeing people come to Jesus. And part of the reason is because there's kind of a growing belief amongst people, and you know this, that that all roads lead to the same place. All religions lead to the same God. And here's what Jesus had to say about that in John chapter 14, verse six. He says, no, 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 no. Make no mistake about it. He says, I am the way. I am the truth and the life. And he says, no one can come to the Father except through me. Jesus makes it clear. He says, I'm the only road. There's only one. I'm the only road that leads to God. I'm it. And so justice without Jesus is just a band-aid. So where do we begin to engage our neighbor? The Bible is clear about that one as well. Jesus calls us to engage our community, our country, and our world. Um, Acts chapter 1 verse 8, before the church actually began, Jesus gave some marching orders. And here's what he said. He said, you're going to receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you're going to, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, there's a few things that I want you to see here, a few important things here. Your power, your ability to have compassion for others and to be witnesses for Jesus will come from the, whole, from the Holy Spirit. We, we cannot do it without him. And then Jesus gives us a, a very clear strategy on how to, how to unleash compassion in our lives. He says, you start with your own community, your own Jerusalem. He says, and then you extend into, into your Judea and your Samaria, into the country, and then you engage the world to the ends of the earth. Now, there's a, there's a myth that, that exists in the, in, in, the, in the missions world. And the myth is that the needs overseas are greater than the needs next door. Listen, I want to tell you something. On any given Sunday, okay, except for maybe Mother's Day, because mothers want, want their kids in church, all right? 88% of, of this area that we live in, people are not in church in the morning. Many of them are just, they're, 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 they're just doing all kinds of things. 88% of this area in, in a very religious Bible Belt area, all right? But here's what you need to know. Many of them, many of them are just as lost and, are, and they're going to, to the same hell as the lost person in Iran or Afghanistan, homelessness, poverty, sex trafficking, abortion, racism, serious issues in our state and country. Atlanta is one of the the top sex trafficking areas in our nation. We have serious problems with violence and homelessness and and, and poverty in in our nation's largest cities. The University of Purdue and and, and a lot of their studies on on religious activity all over the world, they now say that the U.S., is the fourth most unreached nation in the world with the gospel. Right now there, are, there, there will become soon more Christians in China than there are in the United States. Think about that for a moment. Political leaders, I mean, they can, they can create temporary fixes to issues, but they will never address the major issues that plague our homes, our schools, our cities, our nation. What is that? It, it, 
It's sin. And they will never be able to address our greatest need. We're a broken, dark, messed up world because of sin. And the only true answer to sin is Jesus. This world is in desperate need of Jesus. And Jesus and the church are the hope of the world. The commission of the church is to go into all of the world, into every dark space, into every place that God has called us to go and to make disciples, to introduce them to Jesus Christ. We've been commissioned to to deliver the greatest news ever known to mankind, that forgiveness has now been made available, that hope can now be found, that things can be made right between God and man once and for all, that any life, any life can be changed. The Messiah has come. A savior has come and has died and has rose from the dead to conquer sin and death. And make no mistake about it, his name is Jesus. And he says, I'm the only way. And our, and our neighbors, regardless of what those neighbors look like, or who, our neighbors desperately need that message. That's the good news that they, that they must hear. They must hear it in Dallas, Georgia. They must hear it in Northwest Atlanta. They must hear it in Clarkston, Georgia. They must hear it in, in, in Detroit, Michigan. They must hear it in Edinburgh, Scotland. And, and they must hear it in the villages that we work with in Guatemala and our high schoolers who work with a village in, in Nicaragua. And they must hear it in the mud huts of Burkina Faso, Africa. So how can I live a life of compassion? How do I unleash this in my life? First of all, you gotta ask God to give you a compassionate heart and a love for people. You gotta ask him. When, when I, whenever I go anywhere into a place, I mean, Clarkston last week, I, this is what I prayed as I got out of the van. When, it, when I went to Cairo, Egypt in 2003, this is what I prayed standing on the, the 10th floor of, of, of the hotel I was in overlooking the Nile River. When we first went to Burkina Faso, when I go to, when I, when the first time I went to Cuba, when I went to Guatemala or where, whatever country or, or place God has brought us to, where I have walked in, this has been my prayer. God, break my heart for the things that break your heart. Break my heart for the things that break your heart. Here's a fact, listen, compassion is messy. Compassion doesn't always... Um, come to you in a new nicely wrapped box with a pretty bow on top compassion requires overcoming fear sometimes it it means becoming a bit uncomfortable it it takes dropping pride sometimes it takes confessing some sin sometimes you got to dig in and, and remove some generational sins but compassion begins when we pray god give me a heart and give me love for my neighbors and not just the ones that look like me but the whole neighborhood and then we've got to break down some cultural barriers. We, we live in one of the most diverse areas in the country. Before we ever moved here in 1997, I heard so much of the history of this area as it related to, to racism. I heard even how counties looked down on other counties. You know, you, you weren't quite as good if you lived in this county. This was a better county, you know, whatever. So I know, listen, I believe with all my heart, God put this church right here in this area to tear down racial barriers and to be a bridge of compassion from one race to to another. He also, he also put this church right strategically on a county line, on a county line to tear down the dividing lines between counties. Listen, the Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, that if you claim to love God and yet you hate your brother or your sister, you're a liar. That's strong. So we've got to break down these cultural barriers that, that exist, but 
It exists in our hearts. And then we got to reject isolation. Back in Jesus' day, if you were a Gentile, if you were a leper, if you were a tax collector, if you were a woman, if you were uncircumcised, you were isolated from religious people. You were isolated from the synagogue, from the synagogue, from the temple in many ways. I like to think that Westridge is a very welcoming church to anyone from the community. But think for just a moment about who are the cultural lepers of the day that the church as a whole has, has tried to avoid for years. Think about today, today, the transgender person, the homosexual person, the Muslim, people from other countries, the refugees, even people from other races. And here's what we must believe and embrace if compassion is gonna truly be part of our lives. If we're gonna truly love and reach our neighbors, we have to believe with all of our heart that God created every single person with equal value. They have, every person has equal value in God's eyes and everyone deserves an opportunity. Everyone deserves an opportunity to be brought to Jesus, to be forgiven of sin, to be, to be a child of God. Every person deserves that. Listen, if we're going to love our neighbor, you've heard me say this before, if we're going to love our neighbor, we have to be willing to love the whole neighborhood, not just those who look like us, act like us, or think like us, or vote like us, because that's coming up. Lord, help us. And then we got to be normal and approachable. This is one of the things that made Jesus different from all the other religious leaders of the day. He was approachable. Sinners were drawn to him because he didn't ooze religion. He, he wasn't so awkward that, I mean, he just, he just, he, he didn't have the haughtiness of the other religious le- teachers of the day. He was strong, but he was humble. He had a, the Bible said he had a gentle spirit about him. We, we, we don't understand that word gentle from the Bible. The word gentle means strength under control, like a, like a wild animal that has been bridled. He's, he kept things under control, gentle in spirit. Even though he was God in the flesh, he came across as normal and approachable. A guy that just people loved to be around. Why? Because he had fun. He had fun. He laughed. I think, he, I think he, when he was around with his disciples, they sat around and they, they laughed together. He exuded love. I mean, think about, you know, for years and years, people outside look at Christians as all stuffy. You know, we come to church and we wear things that we don't wear the rest of the week and, you know, act like we don't act the rest of the week. I mean... This, this is my little horse, I'll jump off. But when Jesus came, listen, when Jesus came into the city of Jerusalem for the last time, Luke, this is his heart. Luke chapter 19 tells us that he wept over the city because of what the people there were about to go through because they were gonna reject him. He, he actually cried over those who were about to demand his death. Listen, if God is ever going to use your life, use your life to truly impact people, you have to have a heart and compassion and love for them. You have to have a compassionate heart. And if you don't, ask him to give it to you. Ask him to give it to you. Ask him to break your heart for the things that breaks his heart. And then be sacrificial and generous with your life and your resources. Listen, compassion without sacrifice is just convenience. Think back to the story that Jesus told of the Good Samaritan. What, what did the Samaritan sacrifice for, for this beaten, battered Jewish man? He sacrificed time, he sacrificed his reputation and his money. Now, as you know, we, we've been talking about this this morning. We have Compassion International on the property today. 
we love this organization. We had them here this experience a few years back, and I think we sponsored as a result over 420 um, kids, and we're going to blow that out of the water today. And through Engage Burkina, we, we've now been able to sponsor over 2,000. But Compassion works with more than 7,500 churches in 25 countries for the purpose of relieving children from poverty in Jesus' name. And we've been partnering with them now for, I believe, over 10 years. Our family has sponsored three children, actually four, one in, one in Kenya, um, one in Thailand, and, and, and two in Burkina Faso right now, little, little Fadi Mata and, and Asan. And I was with them several years ago and got to go take them out to lunch. And, and we ate burgers and pizza and French fries, okay? They'd never had any of that. And, I'm, and I'm, so, so I'm watching them eat the French fries, you know, and, and it's good. But then we brought out the ketchup. The ketchup changed everything. <laughs> they wanted to put ketchup on pizza. It was like, okay, the, the fries were nice. The salt, that has a little zest, but the ketchup, oh, it's like, just don't send us, just send us ketchup. I mean, <laughs> but it's just, a, you, you, we think about that and we go, wait a minute, these kids have never had that? No. I've spent time with these kids. Our, our family prays for them like they're our own children. We have our, their pictures on, on the walls of our house just like we do our, our two biological boys. What does it mean for a child to be sponsored? Well, there's benefits. I mean, you think about, Paul mentioned some of them, food, educational assistance, things like tutoring and school uniforms and uh, textbooks and supplies, medical checkups, spiritual development, health and hygiene stuff. In December 2018, Compassion reached this milestone with now 2 million children sponsored in its child development program. That's amazing. And here's what we know about kids in third world countries that get sponsored by Compassion. 40% 40% more are likely to finish secondary education. We know that, that, that 80% are more likely to graduate from college. 75% are more likely to become leaders in their community. And as I mentioned earlier, we've been working um, you know, in Burkina Faso since 2008. And we've talked over the years about the poverty in this country, according to the United Nations and their health study that they do on, on nations. Burkina is 185 out of, out of 188 countries that they've studied. All right. Where, where they, they measure the quality of life, the, the, the access to education and, and standard of living. Today, only 45% of children living in rural areas in Burkina are enrolled in primary school. Think about that. Less than 5% of the poorest households in Burkina have electricity. Over 18 million residents of Burkina, more than, out of the 18 million, more than 8.1 are living on less than $1.25 a day. I shared this story with you last year and I'll share it again this morning. During my first trip to Burkina Faso, January 2010, I was standing inside of a compassion site and I'm watching all these children inside the, inside the, the building and they're worshiping. Uh, they have on these uniforms, uh, out there, the orange and white and many, they're worshiping, they're singing songs about Jesus and they're singing in French and Jula and but, but it, was, it was just a beautiful thing. And then all of a sudden, I looked at the door. And this picture right here hangs in my office right here. And I, and I, and I leaned over to, I don't know if it was Paul or the compassion guy that was with us, and I said, who, who, tell me about these kids at the door. And they said, these kids here, are they're not sponsored. I said, well, what are we going to do about that? And he goes, well, right now we, we don't have sponsors, and, and they're not coming in. They're not coming in the door. 
But these other kids, we've changed their life. The ones with the, I mean, two meals a, two, two meals a week. I mean, just education, the chance to hear about Jesus. I mean, not just their, their, their life here on this earth, but, but their eternal life. But I want to tell you what breaks my heart. Those kids at the door right there. And I know we've talked about this. I'm just going to tell you, we're not stopping until those kids, someone helps those kids. Because those kids deserve the same opportunity as our kids. Those kids right there. They deserve food. They deserve education. They deserve an opportunity to hear about Jesus and how much he loves them. Compassion is seeing something wrong and doing something about it. And we cannot stop until every one of those kids at the door have the same opportunities as the ones inside the building. That's why Compassion International is here today. That's why we believe in this ministry. I have up here in, in, in my hand just a little girl. Her name is Yadu. I don't know how old she is, but she's not been sponsored yet. By the end of this morning, she will be sponsored. All right, little Yadu, you will change this girl's life. You may never get to meet her, but her life will be changed. So what do you do with this? I want you to begin to pray. I want you to pray right now. Every one of you, Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours. Break my heart for what breaks yours. This, this you know, we, I think about this. We, we just, we're, we're so blessed and fortunate to have been born here. I know this country is not perfect. I know that we have our flaws. We have a history of, of, of sinful things. We really do. But it's a great country and God has blessed us with with. with with excess. I was thinking the other day, how much does it cost to, to sponsor her? About $38 a month. I took my family out to IHOP uh, two, two mornings ago. I spent $39. And I thought about her. And I thought, $38 a month changes her life. $39 one morning, I walk out going, I think I just spent too much money. Break my heart for what breaks yours and then do something about it. And then we, if you say yes to this, stay with it. Stay with it until this little girl graduates from high school. Until you get a letter saying she's going to this and such and such college. And then you will just go, okay, thank you, God. Give me another child. Would you bow your head for just a moment? I want to ask you to pray and engage. I want to ask you to, to ask God to unleash compassion in your life right now. You may be here today and, and you've, never, you've, you've never experienced the compassion of God who, who came th through the life of his son Jesus to offer you forgiveness of sin. The same forgiveness that he offers to these little kids in Burkina today, he offers to you. The same salvation, the same forgiveness. And if that's you today, pray with me. Say, oh Lord, at this moment, you saw something wrong and you did something about it. You sent Jesus to engage the sinfulness of my world, my life when I couldn't do it. And Jesus did it for me. He is the son of God, the savior of the world. And I confess my need for Jesus. And I ask him to be my, my savior. I receive salvation into my life. Through, by, I receive it through faith, Lord. It's a gift that's been given to me, Lord, through grace. I don't deserve this, but I receive salvation. Jesus, you are the son of God. You're my savior. 
If you just prayed that with me, look at me for a moment. Get out your phone, text us the words follow to 77453 so we can come alongside of you, all right? But for the rest of you, look at me for just a moment. God, break our hearts for the things that break your heart. I know this sounds like a commercial. I want to tell you something. I don't really care. I'm fighting for this little girl's life right here. If Jesus were here, he'd be with her. He'd be loving on this little girl. He'd be pulling her close, the least of these. Westridge, let's, let's just overwhelm this ministry out here with the compassion of Jesus. Let them walk out of this building, leave these grounds going, this church is crazy about generosity and compassion. Somewhere along the line, they got it. They got it. Maybe been 10 years ago, 20 years ago, maybe it was today. These people are nuts. And then stay with whatever it is you do. Lord, help us to engage the little ones of Burkina Faso. Help us to engage our next door neighbors. Help us to engage the people that live on the other side of the road, the other side of the tracks, the people that look different than us, the people who vote different than us, the people who think different than us and act different than us, who come from different religions, who scare us. Help us to overcome our fear and our doubts. And and Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit, which you've given us to engage our community, our country and world, the love of Jesus and help us not, not to stop until we hear trumpets blow in Jesus' name.